and his sort of youngest boy who really liked all the stuff, you know, all the stuff that dad wanted, couldn't go. And he just loaded up the car with all his stuff. It was quite good and expensive stuff. And um, I remember my friend turning to me. And with a slight, it wasn't bitterness, but there was something twinkling in his eyes. And he looked at his son and he said, that's my Porsche. (laughs) Now, for those of you who are not parents, that's probably not very funny. For those of you who are parents, that will hurt really deep. (laughs) He was a living sacrifice. He had sacrificed everything for his family. He would really wanted the Porsche, but he had sort of sacrificed everything. What we're going to do today is we're going to look at a passage which is about a living sacrifice, but slightly different. There's no Porsches, as as far as I'm aware in the Bible. So we're not going to be talking about that, but we're going to be looking at what it means to be a living sacrifice. And my friend's story is actually a little bit, there's a little bit of truth in it. It actually cost him something to have his family. It was something he wanted, he gave up, but the pleasure of of having his family was, was amazing. So there's little bits of truth in that. We find in the Bible the phrase used, the living sacrifice, and we want to find out what that is. What does God mean when he talks about us giving a living sacrifice? What does it actually mean in our lives? What will it mean in your life tomorrow, the day after, and the day after that? That's what we're going to do. We're going to read quite a lot from God's words because it's much better than listening to someone preach. Much better. If you want to do something when you go home, you're going to switch on the television, don't. Get out your Bible and have a read. If you get a bit bored tomorrow in lectures, if you're a student, not that that would ever happen. Don't get your Bible out. It'd be really bad. Wait till you leave the lecture and then get your Bible out. Okay? Just in case. Let's pray. Lord God, you're great. You're amazing. We've we've sang about you. And everything we've sang is, is, is personal. You're not just some force, some great, you know, sort of maker of things happening. But you're God who is Father. You're God who is Jesus who came to this earth, lived a life and died and rose again. You're God, Holy Spirit, not some sort of spook, but a Him, a real person. Thank you, that's true. Thank you for the comfort that our God is not just real, but he is three persons in one God, that we can know him. And so we ask, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you come to us now, that you descend upon this congregation of people, and by your Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of Jesus, will you teach us, please? Thank you that you've got a word for each of us. Thank you that you've got something to say to every single person here. And I do pray, Lord, that as we read and as I talk, that those words, your words, would come out and we would hear them. We would listen, we would delight, and we would obey. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got a Bible, there's one in front of you. It should also come up on the screen. We're looking at Romans chapter 12. And we're going to read all of it. I don't want to give you too much background just now. The book, of, the book of Romans is a letter which is written by the Apostle Paul outlining what it means to be a Christian. Most of the other letters in the New Testament are written for specific circumstances. 
you know, someone's got a bit of a problem here, or there's a problem in church, and they write letters. Romans is one of the few places where Paul has been able to sit down and actually think out, really carefully think out what he was writing. And so it's quite a hard book in some ways to follow it through, but it's a beautiful book. And we come into it near, near the end. We come into it near the end because he's just explained what it means to be a Christian. And then we get this. This is God's word. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know and be able to test and approve what the will of God is. His good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same functions, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to eat and drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's an amazing passage. It's absolutely amazing. Just reading it out. And although those words are about 2,000 years old, they speak right down to our conditions and lives right now. 
And one of the things that strikes me about them is just how real they are. They feel real when you read them out. It's not just like reading a piece of literature. There's something very real. And what I want to do is I want to pull out some of the things which I want to put to you are especially real. So it's a, it's a bit of a sort of um, play, play on the word real, but it's true. Look at verse 1. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. There you have real worship. And you also have real presence. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's what worship is. Now, why? Why should any of us in this room offer our bodies to God? Why would you do that? Well, remember, we've come into Paul's letter a bit late. It's almost near the end. And up until this point, what has he done? He's written saying, how do you live a, how do you live a truly good life? How do you live a life which please God? Actually, it's not possible and we know it. But God himself has taken the steps to reach down to us. And how has he done that? By sending Jesus. And when you go through Romans chapter 3, 4, 5, 6, you've got this beautiful unfolding of God's purpose in reaching down to us in Jesus. But it's a reaching down that involves the death of Jesus. And as you read through the words of Romans, you see the glory and the beauty, but also the pain as well. Christ died for you and I so that we could live a righteous life, so that we could live properly. And Paul, as he says this and unpacks this and tries to explain all the different theology behind it, how it works, he gets hugely excited. And then by the time you're at chapter 7, and he's dealing with the way that you are without Jesus, and just the fact that you're fairly hopeless without Jesus. You think you're in control, but you're not. And you might think you're the master of your life, but you're not, and you're sort of aware of it. And Paul says, yeah, but there's a way out. It doesn't have to be that way. And he talks about not just Jesus' sacrifice, but the fact that the Holy Spirit is given by God, the Spirit of Jesus, to indwell us and to change everything around. And then by the time you get to the end of chapter 8, he is talking to ordinary people like you and I, and he's saying, what can separate us from this love of God, this huge love of God? which has sent Jesus to die, which means that you can actually live a righteous and proper life before God. Who can separate us from that? Nothing. Not persecution, not, not any sort of illness. Nothing can separate. And it's a real hymn of praise. And the theology, the God talk, leads into praise and what God has done. And then there's a little bit of an interlude about Israel. And then he uses this word, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. Everything up until that point is the mercy of God. Didn't have to do it. We think we're pretty special. We think we're really worth something. God didn't have to die on a cross. Jesus didn't have to do that. The only thing that compelled him was love for you. Not just love for us, but love for you. It's the only thing that compelled him. Love for you. And Paul knows that. 
And all the way through Romans, he knows that. And he gets to this point. He says, therefore, I urge you, because of God's great mercy, you didn't deserve this. But given that he's done it, I urge you to give your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, a sacrifice in, 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 in Paul's time and before was something you would take to the temple and you would give over and you give it to God. You say, right, here it is, if it's a turtle dove or it's money or whatever, and you give it and it goes over and it becomes God's. It's not yours anymore. A sacrifice is something you give, something that's going to cost you, and it's a way of saying thank you. And here's Paul turning around saying, yeah, okay, all those sacrifices where you can give money and animals, that's one thing, but God wants your body as a living sacrifice. It's going to cost, but he wants your body as a living sacrifice. That's worship. Now, we'll come back to that in a minute. It says, offer your bodies. Why offer your body? I mean, maybe your mind. I mean, my body's not that great, actually. I think my mind's a wee bit better. If I'm going to give an offering, I might go for the mind rather than the body. It's a bit of a toss-up, really. Why is Paul so adamant that it has to be the body? Because, as we'll see a little bit earlier in Romans, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. For someone who is a Christian, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And as soon as you offer up your body as a living sacrifice, you're saying, God, Holy Spirit, I'm available for you to be the eyes of Jesus, the ears of Jesus, the feet of Jesus, and the hands of Jesus. Someone who offers up their body as a living sacrifice is someone who has the Holy Spirit indwelling and Jesus living through them. It's interesting, isn't it? In some ways, in some ways we're just imitating Jesus. He gave himself as a sacrifice, except he actually died. He gave himself as a sacrifice for us. And so in some ways, he's, he's not asking any more from us. As he gave his life, he wants us to give our lives. I often wondered here why Paul didn't say, why don't you just imitate Jesus? Because that's what it's sort of saying. Why not imitate Jesus? And it is a good thing to imitate Jesus. But it's funny, some of us have a funny view of what it means to imitate Jesus. Some people take it to extremes. And, and, and there are some people who imitate Jesus by learning Aramaic and doing woodwork and doing literally all, literally all the things he's done. And they, they think they're him sort of um, following Jesus and imitating him. And there are others who look to the time of the New Testament when there were the disciples and Jesus was the master and the disciples copied what Jesus did. And that's sort of, I mean, that's a great thing to do, to look at Jesus as an example to copy. But one of the problems with doing that is you always fall down. Unless you're like me. You know, you set up this moral standard and you try and be it, you fall down. As soon as you try to be like Jesus and make the moral effort, I see him like this, I want to be like Jesus, and you fall down. This passage here is telling us that a disciple is not just someone who looks to Jesus for an example, but someone who looks to Jesus and has Jesus within them. That's why the apostles after Jesus was raised from the dead became different men. 
Up until then, they tried really hard to follow Jesus. Sometimes they managed it, sometimes they didn't. But Jesus' resurrection changed everything. The power that raised her from the dead was available to ordinary believers like you and I. And so this idea of giving your body as a living sacrifice, it is a way of God transforming this world. Because all of a sudden, you are Jesus to the people round about you. And although the words sound grand, give yourself as a living sacrifice, it's your reasonable worship. What does it mean? It means day by day, minute by minute, with the Holy Spirit, with God's Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus within you, you are God to the people round about you. And as you, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, reach out to people, give cups of cold water, give reassurance, do all sorts of things, the hand of Jesus is, is actually given out to people. That's amazing. Now, why is that worship? Why does it say that that's worship? I mean, that's more or less saying living a life controlled by Jesus is worship. Why is it worship? And also, how is that related to when we stood up and sang? Does it get any relationship at all to that? It's worship because the word worship means giving your all. It means giving your all to God. And the word that's used here in particular means service. It means serving God, giving your all. That's what it means by worship. How is that related to what happens when we stand up and sing? Have you ever wondered that? Why we call that worship? And there's a sort of movement abroad that says that's not real worship. The real worship is what we do in our lives, not what we do in church when we sing. It's not quite right. We who are Christians, who have God's spirit within us, live lives in this world. And because of God's spirit, we change the world. Not because we are great or wonderful, but because we offer ourselves as living sacrifice. And God changes things through our bodies. God changes things through our bodies. And when we come together as God's people, and when we read the Bible, when we pray and we sing, those are acts of worship because we bring everything that we are. We don't sing songs to get ourselves steeled up for the next week. We sing songs because we can't help but express love for the God who's been with us this week. Not just alongside us, but actually in us. Working in us. And we get to see him work. We get to see Jesus working through us if we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And so a congregation of people who are living sacrifices coming together and raising their voices as one is the most powerful thing on earth. Worship is not a way of making yourself feel good. Worship is a, a choice where you say, I will worship because of what he's done. And I'm telling you, there's no more powerful worship in the world. And it is emotional. The thing is, it's not just emotional. It is real. Real worship, real presence of Jesus. Some people say, I don't feel that God is with me. If you're a Christian, he is. We'll read that in a second. Let's look at verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And I've put here, real, there's real change, and there's real choice. 
Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. J.B. Phillips, who translated this, says, don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold. Don't allow yourself to be squeezed into a, a, a way that you don't want to be. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now remember, this is for someone who has given themselves their body as a living sacrifice so they have the Holy Spirit inside them. This is Paul applying theology. So let's have a look at the theology that's applying. Take your Bible, or, or someone else's Bible in front of you, and go back in Romans to Romans chapter 7. Page 134. Do not conform any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? Now, those words are best understood in what Paul has said earlier in Romans. Let's look at 721 to 24, I think. Paul is, is looking at the way that he acts naturally. What happens when, when he's left his own devices? He says, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in my members, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Without Christ and without his indwelling Holy Spirit, we seem to know what's right, but seem incapable of doing it. And what Paul described is, is a common experience with, with, with many, many people in many different cultures. But it doesn't have to be that way. And he talks about, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Cut across, I mean, it's a shame to, to, to miss it out, but um, if we go to chapter 8 and start... We'll start round about verse 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what nature desires. Notice that word mind again. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you, if you're a Christian. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Now we could go on, but can you see Paul's already talking about the mind that's, that's apart from God and the mind that, that, that the spirit gives. And so he's saying here, don't let the world squeeze you into its mind, but be trans into its shape, but be transformed by the changing of your mind. What the Holy Spirit does is he gives the power to live a life which is different. If you aren't a Christian, you do not have the power to live a different life. You've got no choice but to let the world 
squeeze you into its mold. As soon as you have the Spirit of Christ living within you, not just alongside you, it doesn't have to be that way. You have a genuine choice. The Spirit brings the choice to say, I want to go Jesus' way. Why? Because he empowers it. Because as soon as your mind is changed and you say, I want to go Jesus' way, the spirit within you responds to that. And if you want, you can go Jesus' way. I need a drummer. Josh, where's Josh? Sorry, it is related. Where's Josh? Can you? I I love the drums. Really, really love the drums. And... um, I've always wanted to play the drums, but I never really get the chance to do it here. Now, don't talk among yourselves, because I, I want to talk to you. Josh is quite good at drums. Um, Josh, can you show me something to do? If you, if you just sit and show me something to do. So, I, the master, the disciple. Master, disciple. Do you want me to kneel? No, I won't. Go. <laughs> play, play, play something so I can see it, so I can follow. Sorry? Um, no, give me something that's really challenging. Go. Go. Yeah, yeah, go. Something really because I, I, I want to copy. Go. Sorry, that's my fault. Can you all just look the other way while he plays? No, no, I, I want you to play something that, that, that I'll be able to just sit and get, I mean, like drums and stuff, you know, not just cymbals. <laughs> Anyone can do cymbal. Anyone can do cymbals. Go. Go. Five minutes, go. No, four, five seconds. Right, stop. Enough. He's quite nervous. Just stop. Right, okay. Can I, can I have a go? Please. Master, disciple. Right. <laughs> can everyone see now? <laughs> I don't see any clapping, by the way. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm telling you, I looked at what Josh did, and it was beautiful. And I wanted so much to play that. I really did. It was beautiful to watch. I just can't do it. Now, Josh, could you sort of help me with it? That was a bit better though, wasn't it? Oh no, don't. (laughs) The thing is, do you know what what actually stopped Josh doing that? What do you think stopped Josh being able to get me to play the drums there? I mean, apart from my obvious lack of talent. Sorry? It was me. Do you know what happened? And, and, And Josh, is this true? You were, you were trying to direct my hands and stuff. And what I was doing was I wasn't trusting him. I really wasn't trusting him. Even though I wanted to, I wasn't trusting him. And so I was actually going and I could feel his hands moving. And he was, he was trying really hard and I just didn't trust him. If I had, 
was good enough just to trust Josh, I can assure you that would have sounded a lot better. If I had just trusted him when he was directing my hands, I mean, I was still doing it, but if I just trusted him a bit more, that drumming would not have been as awful as you've just heard. Thanks, Josh. (laughs) Still talk to me. Living, <laughs> a living sacrifice, giving your body to God is a living sacrifice. Being transformed is not trying harder. It's not looking at the drummer and thinking, I want to do that. It's having the person that actually makes rhythm beside you, in you. It's not just imitating him from the outside. He is living within He's a real presence, and there's a real choice. We have a choice to go Jesus' way as Christians. We do not have to live the unfit, rubbish lives that many of us think we have to live. We have a choice. Unfortunately, and if you're like me, and if if you're not, that's great. But see, when you feel those hands coming, and you know fine well that even although you have the expert there, and he's going to do it, just that sometimes that lack of trust and you just want to keep control a bit more and you heard what happened we ended up with something that was a bit half-baked it would have been beautiful had I just been able to relax do my bit while the master within it was Josh behind me made it work being a Christian is not trying harder being a Christian is allowing the spirit of Jesus who lives within you to blossom within you and to trust him. Real change and real choice. Many of us become Christians and are really quite content with very little change in our lives. Terrified, absolutely terrified that we either go horribly wrong or the Holy Spirit might do something that we really don't want. It's the Spirit of Jesus. He lives within us and is looking for people to give their lives as a living sacrifice. We go down to verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. It's interesting, isn't it? Because here we have a part where he's talked about offer yourselves as living sacrifices. Not sacrifice, sacrifices. It's plural. Why? Because we're a people of God. We're not just individuals, we're a people of God. And the way that we interact is really important to God. Because it's not just through an individual life that people see Jesus, but through the life of a church. Through the life of a bunch of individuals like us from all sorts of different backgrounds, all sorts of different weeks, everything. But each of us allowing the Holy Spirit to act that God shows his glory and his wisdom to other people. In fact, the Bible even says to angelic creatures, And there is something about being part of a body and actually thinking a bit soberly about yourself and what you can do and what you can't do, who you are and who you're not. Notice that Paul goes back to a picture that he loves and the idea of us as a body and each person having an individual part to do in that body. That's really, really important. Now, it's still tied with the idea of giving your life as a sacrifice, but he's talking to all of us. We are living sacrifices not just one or two. It's not good enough 
that you have a, a few super Christians. There is no such thing as a super Christian. That's just rubbish. There's people that say yes to God and Jesus and those who say yes to themselves. And it seems to matter to God that there's a people that do this. And not just that, but those people are in the right place. He gives gifts to his church. And in, in, in Corinthians and in Ephesians, Paul talks about those gifts to the church. And here they seem even wider than in those two places. And there are particular people who are good at this, particular people who are good at that. But a whole bunch of people who need to be good at what God gives them to do by his spirit for church to work. And I don't mean the mechanics of church. By church to work, I mean that people look on and they see the glory of God. And so my third heading is, real church gives real belonging. You'll notice there's a little bit in there that says, um, in verse 5, So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Each member belongs to all the others. I mean, have a sneak look round about you. We actually belong to one another. You're a Christian, that's the truth. We belong to one another. It really matters that you are here. It really matters that what God has given you to do, whatever that is, you do. Whatever gift you have, be it a physical gift or a spiritual gift, it is really important that you use that as a living sacrifice. Again, not trying really hard. This is someone who is indwelt by God's Holy Spirit and who is empowered and directed by God's Holy Spirit. And there are gifts there, and we use them, and it, it's absolutely ideal. Can I, would the worship team mind coming up? Please. Thank you. Thank you. Now, what was, the, what was the, the last song that you did? He loves, us. he loves us. Could you do the first verse of that? Would you mind? beautiful isn't it and do you know one of the reasons it's beautiful is because Hannah when she put the worship team together knew exactly who could do what right Hannah knew and she wasn't thinking about who's her favorite or who she loves or whatever she thought about the best way of making that sound right let me take my way of doing it I'm not like Hannah Hannah's lovely and she is thinking about the sound what I'm thinking about is me okay now, to be honest, Hannah, 
I think Josh's voice is better than yours. Josh, can you come up here, please? Thank you. Please, Josh, quickly. And your piano playing, I suppose it's okay, but do you know something? I really don't want you there. I want you somewhere else. Can you go behind the bass? Please. In fact, yeah, no, Josh, go on the piano. Oh, hold on, I'm not sure now. Yeah, okay. That's, I think that's fine. Um, do, you, do you mind playing the chair? And just sitting doing this? Is that all right? No, I think you be, might be good at it. Right. And, um... Drums? Okay. Is that all right? Oh, in fact, hold on, have you ever played drums before? Mm. You have? Are you good? Yeah, drums. Who, who's, who's best at drums? Right, Ross. Okay, can you play drums, please? <laughs> and I would like both of you to swap your guitars. This is the Spicer approach. This is based purely on the fact of what I want to happen. This is my view of the world. Okay. Right, can, can we play that again, please? Sorry? Josh? Oh no, in fact, I'll do it. Yeah. I don't need the words. Okay? Right, ready? Can, can we hurry up? Can we hurry up? He is... Can we play? Right, okay, I'll tell you what. Can, can, can you stop? It was beautiful the way it was. Do you want to go and sit down? Thank you. Big hand. The thing was, I had all the gifts. I had all the gifts there. I had everything I needed to make that sound ideal. Because Hannah made it happen. Hannah made it happen, and I mucked it up big time. Come on, you must admit, as a failure, that's pretty spectacular, isn't it? I mean, they could barely play. I didn't just make them rubbish. I made it impossible for them. Why did they do that? Because I didn't have a fair estimation of them or myself. I just decided to go things my way. I didn't care about how it sounded. I just wanted all of you to know that I could do that. When Hannah put the music together, she wanted a worship team that would provide worship. And each part was in place to provide worship. Any time in a church or any time when Christians try to do things, God in his infinite wisdom has given us all the right people. It's amazing, isn't it? God has given us all the right people to play all the right parts. Might be someone at the front. Might be someone doing the flowers. Might be someone at the back. Might be someone that you'll never see. It might be some of the older people who are shut in, who are praying right now for you. But he's given every single one of us a part to play. When we listen to ourselves, I want to be a worship leader. How many times have you heard that said? So many people want to be worship leaders. Why do they want to be worship leaders? What's wrong with what God gives us? What's wrong with God who knows us intimately, giving us gifts and saying to us, if you use these, I'm going to build something really special. People will see me because you use your gift. 
of flower arranging. Yeah, even flower arranging. Of sound, of folding things, of working in the office, of standing at the front, of playing guitar. All those hundreds of gifts, spiritual, physical, all mixed up. But there is a plan where God has a place for every single person in his church. You'll be sitting there thinking, yeah, that's fine for that person or that person, that person, but not for me. That's wrong. This passage makes it very clear that every single person who is a Christian is important for what happens in God's church, whether we're meeting together or whether we're on the outside world doing things. It really matters that you're in the right place, no matter who you are. It's one of the beauties of the way God does things. I wasn't going to say this, but in in Ephesians there's a part which says that God uses the church to show his multifaceted wisdom to the heavenly powers and principalities. There's something about us bunch and all our failures and weaknesses and everything else that when we act as a body, it's like the, it shows God his wisdom in a multifaceted way to hold of the creatures that we can't even see. And the idea of multifaceted is like a diamond turning it round with all the beautiful sparkling. You might think you're rubbish. You might even think this church is rubbish, but God doesn't. God thinks you're amazing because of what you can be when you are a living sacrifice. Giving your body to him, acting as you're part of the body. God thinks you're amazing. And then we come to quite a long part where, from verse 9 onwards, when it starts off by saying, love must be sincere. And here I've put down real love and real life. It's dead easy to love people if you don't have to be near them, isn't it? And it's dead, it's dead easy to have a, a notion of love in your head. Tolstoy's wife said, yeah, he talks about love and service all the time. Has he ever helped me once in the kitchen or made my life a bit easier? No, he's a brat. Love must be sincere. And you read from verse 9 downwards, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. There's at least 17 or 18 things here that Paul is saying, bop, 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 bop. Now why? Why give us a whole load of commands like that? Are we now supposed to read them and then go out and try and, and, try and follow them, try really hard to follow them? Remember, people by the Spirit are guided by the Spirit. That's what it said in Romans. We are guided by the Spirit. When you read these things here, these are all things which are characteristics of someone with God's Spirit, who's allowing God's Spirit to act in them. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Jesus went into a temple and overturned things because they were making his father's house a house of thieves. Cling to what is good. Whenever Jesus saw anything good, he praised it as from God. Honour one another above Honor one another above yourselves. What did Jesus do? The Son of God, the perfect man, and he was constantly putting other people before himself. He put us before himself when he died on the cross. Never lacking in zeal, but keeping your spiritual fervor um, serving the Lord. And Jesus constantly going to his Father in prayer and talking to him. Be joyful in hope. And Jesus was, when he saw things that were really hopeful, he was really de- delighted patient in affliction. We see him in the garden. 
the Garden of Gethsemane. This is a picture of Jesus. This is a picture of what love looks like. This is a picture of what people who are indwelt by God's Holy Spirit looks like. This is not something for us to hold up and say, oh goodness, if I don't manage this, I'm going to beat myself up. Oh, I must try harder, I must try harder. How many times have you woke up in the morning after a really rubbish day, rubbish week, rubbish month, rubbish year, and said, I really must try harder? And you read a list like this, and you think, oh goodness, I'm going to have to try harder. This is you. This is me. And dwell, given to God's, given to God as a as a sacrifice. This is you and me. This is not a rod to beat us with. This is a picture of who we are when God's Spirit controls us. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Think of all all the amount of times we just beat ourselves up. Why are we harder on ourselves than God is on us? Why is that? Strange, isn't it? We find grace so difficult. We find the fact that God, our God, reaches down and gives us without expecting anything back or without expecting us to be perfect. We don't. It's a difficult thing to deal with. This is real life. This is what happens when you have life in the Spirit. This is this list here. And Paul was not saying, try harder. He was saying, when you give your life to Jesus and the Spirit lives through you, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. So four things. I've said real worship and real presence in verse 1. Real change and real choice in verse 2. 3 to 8, real church and real belonging. 9 through to the end, real love and a real life. So what about us? The first thing supposes who do you belong to who do you belong to you might think well I don't belong to anyone I'm my own person what was really clear from Romans is you are not your own person no one in this room is their own person you're being battered around by other things outside of your control who do you belong to if you belong to Jesus it's different If you belong to Jesus, it is completely different. Who do you belong to? And if you do belong to Jesus, when was the last time you said, I'm just really pleased. I'm just really pleased that you're in my life. I'm just really pleased that your Holy Spirit lives within me and enables me to change. I'm just really pleased that your Holy Spirit lives within me. And when I say I will worship, I can worship. Not because I'm a great singer or because I'm a great musician, but because you, God, are in me. I belong to you. If you're a Christian, you were bought for a price. You were bought for the price of the death of the Son of God. You're his. You belong to him. It's a beautiful thing, not a bad thing. Because when you belong to him, you are free to choose. It's the only time you're really free to choose when you belong to him. Real change and real choice. Are you changing from the inside out? I'll tell you something. I don't just see it from the media, but I see it from lots of people round about me. And when I travel the world, I see it as well. People seem to be fed up with Christians who just look as if they're hating everyone all the time and battering people all the time and not living any different themselves. I became a Christian because I saw a church in the east end of Glasgow living like Jesus. A church considerably poorer 
in monetary terms and everything else than the church here. And I became a Christian, as many others did, by seeing Jesus Christ live through those people. They weren't perfect. They were almost as bad as us bunch. But they gave their bodies as a living sacrifice and it made them different. Are you changing? Do you really think you can change? Well, I tell you something. One of the things that I hear quite a lot is a belief that we don't think that people can change. Do you believe that you can change? Do you really believe that God's spirit inside you can genuinely change you? Or do you think this is just mumbo-jumbo, some religious trap? Yeah, we can say it because we don't want to upset God. But we know deep down we're stuck. That's not true. That is not true. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind when we give ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to shape us. Do we believe that people around us can change? Depends who they are, doesn't it? If they're quite nice, it's quite easy. What happens if it's people that we're really not too fond of? People that we think might not even be right for church. Can they change? Again, you've got to say that they can because it says it in the hymns and it says it in the Bible. But deep down you know that they can't. That's rubbish. Transforming lives is what Jesus Christ died for. He didn't just die to send people to heaven. He died so our lives might be transformed totally and that he might live through us, reach out to a dying, hurting world through us, through you and me. Through you and me. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Jesus will transform this whole world by people like you and me who allow the Holy Spirit to be our king, to be our guide, to be our comforter. Real church, real belonging. Lots of people, you hear them say, I don't feel I belong there. One of the secrets of belonging to God's people is serving. I'm telling you, when you serve alongside people, and that's not, that's not always great, getting to know people. It's easy to love people you don't know very well, isn't it? Once you get to know all their peculiarities and everything else, it's a bit more difficult. It's much easier to love from a distance. Since you're actually involved in serving, you start to belong. Are you where you're supposed to be in terms of serving? And for those of you who belong to this church, are you where you're supposed to be? Are you doing what God has asked you to do? Because if you're not, this church is not working the way that God wants it to be. It's a bit like the band that you saw rather than the worship team. If you are not where God is calling you to be, that's the way we end up. All sorts of funny wee noises. That's not what God wants. When you go downstairs for tea and coffee, have a look at what's down there. First of all, just to appreciate what God is doing here. Not what the people in this church are doing. We get to be involved in it. We get to be living sacrifices, but it's what God is doing. Go and see what God is doing here in this location. And as you walk around, just gently ask yourself, Lord, I'm in the right place. What am I doing? And if he says, yes, you are, do you know what I want you to do? I just want you, and you don't even have to close your eyes, just as a prayer say, thank you. <laughs> thank you. If you are where you're supposed to be, just say thank you. And just repeat it as many times as you want to yourself. Because isn't that amazing? To be in the right place. And maybe you're not. Maybe God is calling many of you, either in this church or in other churches as well, to 
do something. Is he? Is it really possible that there is a U-shaped space in the church, in some location outside the church or another church, that only you can fill at this moment? Every single person who is God's spirit serves. The idea of a Christian who doesn't serve is a nonsense. Someone who sits with their feet up and just says, that's not my, that, that's not my calling, that's not my calling. I don't believe it. Jesus even said, I came not to be served, but to serve. And finally, real love and real life. That love, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. See that list, I want you to look through that. But not just now, but when, but when you go home. And I want over the next day, I, I, I almost challenge you. Ask the Holy Spirit to show these things coming up in your life in the next day or the next two days. Not all of them, that would be a bit rough. But just one or two of them. Because this is real life. This verse 9 to the end is just what we do when we're living. That service, what we do when we live, when we get up in the morning, when the way we brush our teeth, everything, everything we do is an offering to God. Everything is, is, is service. And I was looking at this myself and I was thinking, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. I was thinking of today. Actually, I said some things which were really not very brotherly about someone within the fellowship. Right, tomorrow's a different day. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, when I'm tempted to come in and say something which is not showing brotherly love, Holy Spirit, give me the power to say no to that. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Tomorrow when you get to the stage where you think, actually, I just can't be bothered, or it's just so easy to say that quick remark, you know, that really sort of nasty thing which gets everyone to laugh, and you just, hey, or else just say something which sounds so gentle, but is really hurtful to someone, and something which just shows your spiritual fervor is dying. Then ask the Holy Spirit, bring this to mind, and Holy Spirit, please make me who you want me to be. Make me who I am in Jesus Christ. Not just trying harder. Why else would you have a list of things to do? This is not a to-do list. This is a Holy Spirit, this is who you are list. Then list. Live it. I'll give you the power to live it. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the power that's available to ordinary people like you and I to live supernatural lives. By supernatural lives, I don't mean swinging from the ceilings and hoping that you're going to be okay when you hit the floor. By that, a really supernatural life, one that will change absolutely everything and is supernature in its most extent, is a life that loves and loves. And no matter what happens, loves. And the power to love comes from the Holy Spirit within. The Holy Spirit who dwells in someone who, because of the mercies of God, has given themselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That's a reasonable, good worship. Shall we pray?
Lord God, you're awesome when we read, a, read this passage and we, we realize what you're, what you're doing and what you're saying. When we see your grace and we see your love, we see your plans for the church, we see your plans for each of the people here. And we see that you do not, as you promised, you don't leave us on our own. You don't leave us desolate. You don't leave us like orphans. But you come and you dwell within us. And because of that, Lord God, we worship you right here and now. We worship you as almighty God. Because of who you are and what you've done. What you're doing in our lives. What you will do in our lives. Bringing each of us to the full stature of Christ. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. You are welcome. Not just, we're glad you're here. We're glad that you give us a bit of a buzz. But you are welcome. And we ask for more of you. Spirit of Jesus, even as we sit here, we would ask that that you would fill us more and more. That we would give you more and more permission to go into the bits of our lives where you just haven't got yet. The bits of our life which we've closed off to you. The bits of our life we're terrified that you're going to hate us when you see them. And you don't do that, Holy Spirit. Give us the grace to offer ourselves, our bodies, to be indwelt by you, Holy Spirit. Please. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.